Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 39 of the show. Got another full episode for you. Uh, The NHL and NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and uh, we'll get into all that. We're going to start off uh, like we usually do in the PGA Tour. This past weekend's tournament was the Valspar Championship, and that was at the Innisbrook Resort, the Copperhead Course, in Palm Harbor, Florida. It was a par 71 Distance was 7,340 yards. And this event was not played last year due to the pandemic. Uh, It was one of the events that uh, did not get played at all. The previous two years to that, the winner was Paul Casey. So Paul Casey came into this thing looking to uh, repeat as a three-time champion. But Innisbrook is a difficult course. Uh, It puts a premium on positioning off the tee and uh, really is kind of thought of as a complete examination for the players. The final three holes are are called the Snake Pit. Uh, It's the Copperhead course. They nicknamed the the last three holes the Snake Pit because they're pretty difficult. And we had a decent field. And uh, interestingly enough, we had four players withdraw from this thing uh, due to positive COVID tests, which is the first time we had four positive COVID tests in the same week on the PGA Tour since the PGA resumed play after the pandemic. Uh, But at the end of this thing, uh, Sam Burns was your winner with a score of 17 under par. And it really wasn't even close. Uh, It was close going into Sunday, but uh, Sam Burns ran away with this thing on Sunday. It was his first career PGA Tour victory. Uh, Two other times on tour, he's had 54-hole leads, uh, but this time he was able to finish and seal the deal. And he played good golf all weekend, uh, really kind of catapulted up the leaderboard with an 8-under 63 on Friday. And then over the weekend rounds, he went 5-under five, uh, five and was able to run away with a three-shot victory for his first on tour. And second place was Keegan Bradley, 14-under par. He was the co-54-hole leader with uh, with Sam Burns, uh, but he only managed to shoot an even par round of 71 on Sunday to fall three shots back of Sam Burns, uh, who shot a 68 on Sunday. So Bradley was second. We had a two-way tie for third. Victor Hovland and Cameron Tringali both shot 13 under par, one shot back of Bradley, four shots back of Burns. With Hovland, he played some pretty good golf all weekend as well. He was actually four under heading into the weekend and then came out with a great round of six under 65 on Sunday to really uh, jump up the leaderboard there in that final round. And then Cameron Tringali, 
he's another one of those guys that's been on tour for a while, and he's still looking for his first career victory on tour. But he played pretty well. His worst round was a, a two under uh, 69, So, and that was in Thursday's opening round. He finished with a pair of 67s uh, on Friday and Saturday, and then a, a three under on Sunday's final round. So he got up to 13 under. And then fifth place was Abraham Answer. Answer's a younger golfer, hasn't been on tour that long, but he is still looking again for his first career victory. Uh, Abraham Answer was near the top of the board all weekend, really. Uh, he was sitting at five under going into the weekend and then went seven under over the weekend rounds to solidify another top five finish. And Answer's been playing really good golf lately, just not, not, not even so much. I mean, he did obviously this past weekend, but... He's another guy, like I said, looking for his first career victory, and I think he's I think he's getting pretty close the way he's been playing. But let's check out Rick's picks to click from the Valspar Championship. The first one I gave you was Corey Connors. Uh, he'd been coming into this thing, no hotter golfer uh, on tour. He had four top tens and a T14 in his last six starts. Just been playing fantastic. And uh, in this past month, anytime you looked at the leaderboard uh, over the weekend, his name was was near the top. And this was his uh, second trip to Innisbrook. His first one back in 2018, he held the lead in each of the first three rounds, but ended up finishing T16. Uh, And in this thing, he ended up finishing at five under, which was good for a tie for 21st. So he did click for me. He didn't shoot anything worse than par, which is what he shot in Sunday's final round and he was uh, only four under through the first three rounds. So he, uh, he he played good golf. Again, he wasn't really near the top of the board at any point during the weekend, but uh, he was good enough to finish inside the top 25 and get me a click. Second pick to click was Paul Casey. Like I said just a minute ago, he won this thing in the last two times it was played in 2018 and 2019. And he was looking to become only the second golfer on tour to win the same event in three consecutive seasons. Well, that didn't happen, uh, but he did also shoot five under for a T21 finish. He had a pair of three under 68s on Thursday's opening round, Sunday's final round, but he mixed that in with an even par round of 71 on Friday and a one over round of 72 on Sunday. So he also clicked for me at that T21 position. My final pick to click was Patrick Reed. And Reed had not played since the Masters a few weeks ago where he finished T8. So he was rested, and uh, he's twice been a runner-up at this tournament, Valspar. And he uh, he came out, shot a one-under uh, on Thursday, and then a one-over on Friday to finish at even par through two rounds, which was good enough to miss the cut. Uh, shot even par through two rounds, missed the cut, obviously did not click for me there. So I clicked on two of the three picks at the Valspar. Uh, but this weekend, the PGA heads over to the Wells Fargo Championship, which is at the Quail Hollow Golf Club in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's a par 71, distance 7,521 yards. It's a long course. Uh, it's, it's set up nicely for the big hitters that are in the field. And uh, the key to this thing is going to be power and precision, uh, which I guess you could probably say that about a few courses, but Quail Hollow really shows its teeth uh, if you miss the fairway. A bunch of good players in this field, some top-level players as well. 
We did have one more positive COVID test this week. That was Brendan Todd. So this is the third week in a row that we've seen a positive COVID test and a withdrawal. And again, very interesting timing for these positive tests. We are uh, in the summer, uh, a full year and a couple months removed from the start of the pandemic. So it's just interesting the timing of these, uh, of these positive tests. But we'll uh, check out Rick's picks to click for the Wells Fargo Championship. The first one I'll give you is Keegan Bradley. He's ranked number 74 in the world. Uh, kind of kind of way down there, but he hasn't finished any worse than 30th in his last five starts, including a T2 last week at the Valspar, like we just talked about, and then a T10 back at the Arnold Palmer a couple months ago. So he's played some pretty good golf, and uh, I like if he plays the way that he did this past weekend at the Valspar, I like for that to carry over and get him a top 25 finish at least here at the Wells Fargo. My second pick to click is Victor Hovland. Uh, He's coming off that T3 last week at Copperhead, which ended a streak of four consecutive finishes outside the top 20. But prior to those four finishes outside the top 20, Hovland had four finishes inside the top six. So he had been playing lights out and then uh, kind of had a few rounds or a few tournaments where he wasn't as, uh, as electric but he came back with a, a third-place finish last week at a difficult course, so I like for him to at least finish inside the top 25 this week as well. I think he's another one that's kind of sniffing around uh, a victory. But uh, my final pick to click for the Wells Fargo Championship is Xander Schauffele. He's ranked number four in the world. Uh, Hovland was ranked number 11 in the world, by the way. I don't know if I said that. Xander is number four in the world. He uh, played in the Zurich Classic of New Orleans a couple weeks ago with Patrick Cantlay, uh, and his last individual event was the Masters, where he finished tied for third and probably would have won if he wouldn't have fallen apart on that par 3 16th hole. But he currently leads the tour in all-around ranking with regards to scoring. So uh, he's just another guy that, uh, obviously a top golfer in the world, and he can win on any given week, really. So... Uh, I like for him uh, this week to uh, get inside the top 25. But we'll move on to our standings update portion of the show, and we'll start off in Major League Baseball. We're about a month and a half into the Major League Baseball season, and it's been a good one so far. Plenty of entertainment thus far. Uh, there seems to be some pretty competitive division races that are uh, you know, taking shape here. Obviously, a lot of baseball left to be played, but... I came across this stat on SportsCenter the other night, and for the month of April in Major League Baseball, there was a vast difference in the amount of strikeouts versus the amount of hits. And in fact, it was the biggest difference for any single month in Major League Baseball history. So for April 2021, there were 1,067 more strikeouts than there were hits which is the most, again, in Major League Baseball history. The next closest month to that was September of 2019 when there was 705 more strikeouts than hits that month. So it's about 360-ish more strikeouts than that month. So pitchers are wheeling and dealing, and uh, it, it is at a historic pace. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that we've seen four no-hitters. Coming into this past week, we had only had two no-hitters, 
thrown, and then there were two more thrown this week. The first one was on Wednesday night when Baltimore Orioles pitcher John Means threw the third no-hitter of the season, and it was Baltimore's first individual no-hitter since Jim Palmer in 1969. And in that no-hitter, the only base runner that John Means allowed happened via a dropped third strike. And that's really about as close to a perfect game as you can get. And at that point, after Means no-hitter, that was the earliest we have seen three no-hitters in a season since that 1969 season. And all three of the no-hitters up to that point uh, were with only one batter reaching base. So between all three no-hitters, there were no walks, no errors, and still no perfect games, which is very odd. And then on Friday night, not to be outdone, Cincinnati Reds pitcher Wade Miley threw a no-hitter against the Cleveland Indians. So this made, that Wade Miley's no-hitter made this the second season in Major League Baseball history to have four no-hitters before the end of May. And we're still so early in May that it is entirely possible that we could see another one uh, no, one or two no-hitters at this rate. Uh, they've been coming in pairs. The first set was five days apart, and this week they were two days apart. So it is uh, clear that pitching is uh, definitely the, probably the best we've seen in baseball history, uh, and that speaks to the no-hitters. <clears throat> but as far as the standings update, Start off in the National League. In the NL East, the Philadelphia Phillies lead the division at 18 and 15. The New York Mets are 14 and 13. Miami Marlins are 15 and 16. Atlanta Braves 15 and 17. Washington Nationals 13 and 15. The lead in that division is two and a half games. It had been one game so far throughout the first month or so, but now it is up to two and a half between the Phillies and the Nationals. In the NL Central, the St. Louis Cardinals are leading at 19 and 14. Milwaukee Brewers, they've lost six games in a row. They're 17 and 16. The Chicago Cubs have won four games in a row. They're 16 and 16, up at 500 now. The Cincinnati Reds are 15 and 15. And the Pittsburgh Pirates are five games back of the Cardinals at 13 and 18. And then in National League West, the surprise team in baseball so far, the San Francisco Giants. They're 19 and 13. San Diego Padres are 18 and 15. And the powerful Los Angeles Dodgers are 17 and 16. They're on a four-game losing streak. And they actually had a stretch uh, where they were 4 and 12. I think they're 4 and 13 now. Uh, in their last 17 games, which is the worst record in the National League over that stretch. And to add insult to injury, not only are their top hitters not hitting currently at the moment, but their starting pitcher, Dustin May, he is out for the rest of the year because he's having Tommy John surgery. Uh, he, he only pitched about an inning and two-thirds the other night and uh, left with tingling in his arm. And they uh, did the MRI and discovered that he needed Tommy John surgery. So the Dodgers are really taking on water here at the moment, uh, which is not good news. Uh, Dustin May was not one of their top three pitchers. They still have Trevor Bauer, Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller. But uh, that lineup needs to start hitting because that NL West is going to be 
very difficult to win with the way the Giants and the Padres are playing. But fourth place in the NLS, the Arizona Diamondbacks, 15 and 17. And last place in the NLS, the Colorado Rockies, they are 12 and 20. Now over in the American League, the AL East, the Boston Red Sox are 20 and 13. Tampa Bay Rays are 18 and 16. Toronto Blue Jays, 16 and 15. New York Yankees, 16 and 16. They've come up from the bottom of the AL East. Those Baltimore Orioles are currently sitting in fifth place in the AL East at 15 and 17. They're four and a half games back of the Red Sox. In the American League Central, uh, the Chicago White Sox are 17 and 13, and they are looking like they are the real deal. And this past week, uh, pitcher Dylan Cease followed up his uh, outstanding performance last week, an 11 strikeout performance with another fantastic performance here this week. And he actually became the first American League pitcher since 2001 to have three hits in a game. Uh, Of course, they're doing some interleague play at the moment. So Dylan Cease got to hit, and he actually got a hit uh, in all three of his at-bats. He struck out 11 batters on the mound as well. So uh, Dylan Cease has uh, caught fire for the Chicago White Sox, which is a huge boost to their rotation. And their lineup is producing runs as well. Cleveland Indians are second, just a half game back at 17 and 14. Kansas City Royals are 16 and 15. Minnesota Twins, 12 and 19. And the Detroit Tigers are 9 and 24. They are officially the worst team in baseball. And they are nine and a half games back of the White Sox. It's it's still pretty early in the season, but uh, Detroit looks like they are headed for a lottery draft pick or a top you know few draft pick. Uh, in the American League West, the Oakland A's, twenty and fourteen, Seattle Mariners, eighteen and fifteen, Houston Astros, seventeen and fifteen. They've been playing some pretty good ball lately. The Texas Rangers are 16 and 18 and the Los Angeles Angels are 14 and 17 and that division's also only separated by four and a half games so uh, the way that uh, you know Oakland had that 11 game win streak uh, but they've they've kind of settled down a little bit uh, but baseball man they are off and running and it is uh, it is shaping up to be a pretty good season we've seen some injuries so far to some bigger name players uh, but baseball is well on their way to getting a full 162-game schedule out of the way. But we'll move over to the National Hockey League, do some standings updates there. And before we get into this, uh, we had obviously some more teams clinch some playoff spots, and the playoff picture is uh, basically set at this point. Uh, There are only two playoff spots up for grabs one in the central and one in the scotian north and we'll get into that in just a second but this past week the new york rangers and the washington capitals uh played a couple games together and in the first meeting washington capitals forward tom wilson who has a history of dirty hits and cheap shots he got into a little scrum with uh New York Rangers players Artemi Panarin and Pavel Buchnevich. And during that scrum, Wilson actually injured 
fell on top of Panarin in the scrum, and Panarin is now out for the rest of the regular season, which is, you know, is only a couple games left. But uh, Pavel Buchnevich, Tom Wilson basically uh, assaulted Buchnevich by uh, slamming his head basically into the ice. And uh, when he was trying to avoid a fight, Buchnevich was. So after that, the aftermath, Tom Wilson got fined $5,000, but he did not get suspended, even with his long track record of discipline. So that was very uh, eye-opening, the fact that Wilson only got fined a, a uh, measly five grand. So the New York Rangers, after that game, they came out with a statement saying how disappointed they were that Wilson was not suspended. And the, the statement that they released also mentioned Wilson's previous discipline history. And then the statement proceeded to call out the National Hockey League by saying that there has been derelict of duty on the part of George Peros, who is the director of player safety and discipline. And after that statement, New York Rangers fired general manager Jeff Gorton and president John Davidson. Now, they're not the ones who produced the statement, but they endorsed it. So uh, the team fired both of those guys in the midst of all this, and then the NHL stepped in, fined the Rangers $250,000 as an organization for that statement. So you fast forward a couple nights to that next game. And in that next game, we had an absolute melee take place. There were six fights within the first five minutes of the game, including three right off the opening face-off. Tom Wilson, the reason for all of this, uh, ended up leaving the game with a, quote, upper body injury. You know, hockey's always good about labeling their injuries as either upper body or lower body, and Wilson uh, conveniently left the, that game with an upper body injury. Capitals would go on to win the game 4-1, to one on a hat trick from T.J. Oshie uh, just a couple days after his father passed away. Very uh, emotional moment for him. But just an absolute mess they had going on there in the NHL between the Rangers and the Capitals. So that is definitely, as if it wasn't a rivalry before, uh, it damn sure is now. But as far as the standings updates, the Discover Central Division, the Carolina, uh, Carolina Hurricanes, rather, they have clinched the Central Division. They are the first team to actually clinch a division title at 36-10-8. Uh, they will be the number one seed in the Central. Tampa Bay Lightning, they've clinched a playoff spot 36-15-3. The Florida Panthers, 35-14-5. They're also in the playoffs. They're riding a four-game winning streak. The fourth spot in the Central is one of the two playoff spots up for grabs. And it's come down to the Nashville Predators, who are currently sitting in the fourth spot, and the Dallas Stars, who are uh, tied with, uh, well, they're two points back of Nashville at the moment. Um, they're in the fifth spot. Nashville's 29-23-2. Dallas is 22-18-14. So two points separates them. They both have two games left. Dallas needs Nashville to lose both of their last two, and Dallas needs to win the last two either way to have a shot to get into the playoffs. The rest of that division who's been eliminated, the Chicago Blackhawks 23-25 and 6, the Detroit Red Wings 19-27 and 9, and the Columbus Blue Jackets at 17-26 and 12. In the Honda West division, all four playoff spots have been taken. The division leader at the moment 
is the Vegas Golden Knights at 38-13-2. They've won eight out of their last ten. Colorado Avalanche, 35-13-4. Minnesota Wild, 34-14-5. And the St. Louis Blues, 24-19-9. They clinched the fourth playoff spot. The rest of that division is the Arizona Coyotes, 23-26-6. Los Angeles Kings, 21-25-6. San Jose Sharks, 21-27-6. And the Anaheim Ducks, 17-30-8. The Mass Mutual East Division, all four playoff spots have been clinched. The leader at the moment, the Pittsburgh Penguins, 36-16-3. They've won eight out of their last ten. And... In their game on Thursday night, their trade deadline acquisition of Jeff Carter, he is 36 years old. He scored four goals on Thursday night, making him just the seventh player in the past 40 seasons to have a four-goal game after turning 36 years of age. Uh, They're looking good. Uh, Washington Capitals, they are second in the East Division at 34-15-5. The Boston Bruins are 32-14-7, won seven out of their last ten. And the New York Islanders have the fourth spot currently at 31-17-6. So those are your four playoff teams in the East Division. The teams that have been eliminated, the New York Rangers, 26-23-6. They are on a five-game skid. Philadelphia Flyers, 24-23-7. New Jersey Devils, 19-28-7. Buffalo Sabres, 15-33-7. In the Scotia North Division, Toronto Maple Leafs, 34-13-6. They are probably going to win the North Division. They haven't officially clinched the division yet, but they are in the playoffs. The Edmonton Oilers, 32-18-2. They're playing really good hockey. Seven out of their last ten games they've won. Connor McDavid, uh, is on an outrageous pace. He's going to have probably 100 points uh, in just 56 games, which is absolutely unreal. The Winnipeg Jets are third place currently at 28-21-3. and And the Montreal Canadiens are sitting in that fourth spot, which is the other playoff spot that has yet to be claimed, at 24-20-9. The Calgary Flames have been eliminated. They're 22-26-3. The Ottawa Senators, 21-27-5. And the Vancouver Canucks, 20-25-3. So most teams have played between 52 to 55 games or so. There's only 56 games in the regular season. So by next week's episode, we will have a NHL playoff bracket to break down and discuss. So that is definitely exciting as we wrap up this NHL season. And I'm looking forward to the playoffs. There is nothing more exciting in sports than NHL playoff hockey. So, like I said, next week's episode is going to have a playoff breakdown there. But we'll move over real quick to the National Basketball Association. And in the NBA, of course, we've had more teams clinch a playoff spot as well. We'll start off in the Eastern Conference. The Philadelphia 76ers currently lead the East at 46-21. They're on a seven-game win streak. The Milwaukee Bucks are second at 43-24. The Brooklyn Nets are also 43-24. They've dropped to the third seed. They've lost four in a row. 
they have Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving firing on all cylinders. However, James Harden has still been out. He is going to be ready to go for the playoffs uh, per himself. The New York Knicks are the fourth seed in the East. That is just unbelievable. 37-30. and 30. Atlanta Hawks are 37-31. and 31. Miami Heat, 36-31. and 31. They're the sixth seed. And now remember, the NBA playoffs, seeds 7 through 10, have a play-in tournament to determine the 7th and 8th seed. Currently in the 7th spot, the Boston Celtics at 35 and 32. Charlotte Hornets are 8th at 33 and 34. They got Lonzo Ball back, and he's definitely helped them stay in that playoff race. Indiana Pacers, 31 and 35. Washington Wizards, 31 and 36. The first team out of the play-in tournament, the Chicago Bulls at 28 and 39. They're three games back of Washington. Uh, the way Washington's been playing, I they've won seven out of their last ten, the Wizards have. So uh, I would assume that the Wizards are going to hold off the Bulls, but that is worth keeping an eye on. And then the Toronto Raptors are 27 and 40. They've not been mathematically eliminated, but they are right on the verge. The three teams in the Eastern Conference that have been mathematically eliminated from the playoffs are the Orlando Magic at 21 and 46, the Cleveland Cavaliers at 21 and 46. They've lost nine games in a row. The Detroit Pistons at 20 and 47. Now in the Western Conference, the Utah Jazz. They uh, are 49 and 18. They've won four in a row, seven out of their last ten. They look like they're going to be the top seed, although the Phoenix Suns are the second seed at also at 48 and 19, just one game back. They've also won seven out of their last 10. The Suns look for real. Now, the problem with the Suns is they've played great regular season basketball, but this is their first playoff appearance in 11 years. So uh, nobody on the Suns was on that team when they last made the playoffs. So that is going to be uh, a, a learning curve for them in the playoffs. The Los Angeles Clippers are currently the three seed in the West at 45 and 22. Now, the Clippers just beat the Lakers uh, this week in their last matchup of the season. They swept the season series against the Lakers, giving them the tiebreaker uh, in that. Now, fourth seed in the West, the Denver Nuggets at 44-23. and 23. They've won seven out of their last ten. And the Dallas Mavericks, they have officially clinched a playoff spot at 39-28. and 28. They've won three in a row, eight out of their last ten. They had a couple of big wins this week, including one over Brooklyn. Luka Doncic is still playing on an outrageous level. So they are officially in the playoffs as a, as a top six seed. The sixth seed currently, the Portland Trailblazers at 38 and 29. Now they just beat the Los Angeles Lakers, who are the seventh seed at 37 and 30 uh, on Friday night to hold the tiebreaker over them as well. So the Lakers are the first team that is in the play-in tournament as the seventh seed, which is outrageous. Now, they've had some serious injuries. Uh, LeBron re-aggravated his ankle injury that he missed almost two months for, um, or a month and a half, I guess. So it's possible he's going to miss the final bit of the regular season. But, again, the Lake, very similar to the L.A. Dodgers in baseball, the L.A. Lakers have been taking on water, and that is a sinking ship. Because Anthony Davis, he just returned from injury a couple weeks ago, 
and uh, he hasn't really helped the Lakers improve any because the Lakers have dropped down uh, from the fifth seed to the seventh seed. And this season, between LeBron James and Anthony Davis, those two have combined to miss 58 games this season, which I guess is precisely why the Lakers have uh, fallen as far down as they have, which that is, they've, the Lakers have only won twice in their last 10 games. Um, so they're going to be fighting to get into the playoffs. The eighth seed currently is the Golden State Warriors at 34 and 33. Steph Curry just keeps doing his thing. He's averaging over 30 points a game. He's probably going to finish the season as the leading scorer in the NBA, uh, get himself in that MVP race, especially if Golden State ends up making the uh, final eight after their play-in tournament. The Memphis Grizzlies are 33-33 and 33. at ninth seed. The San Antonio Spurs are the 10th seed, uh, 32-34. and 34. And the first team out of the uh, play-in tournament, the New Orleans Pelicans at 30-37. and 37. Sacramento Kings are the last team in the West that are still mathematically alive in the playoff race at 29 and 38. They're three and a half games back of the Spurs for that 10 seed. So they have some work to do this last uh, couple weeks of the season. Now the Oklahoma City Thunder, 21 and 46, they're the first team to be mathematically eliminated. The Minnesota Timberwolves are 20 and 47. They're eliminated from the playoffs and so too are the Houston Rockets at 16 and 51. They've only won once in their last 10, four game losing streak. They are officially the worst team record-wise in the NBA. So most teams in the NBA have played uh, between 65 to 68 games. And, of course, the regular season is only 72 games. So uh, we will know the playoff seeding more than likely uh, by next week's episode. Um we might we might come up just short of the actual playoffs, but we'll uh, we'll try and time it to where we can get a, an NBA playoff breakdown as well. So the NBA season is uh, is coming in uh, to an end here as well with the NHL season, and the NBA was successfully able to navigate their 72 game schedule that they have this year. So uh, again, just stay tuned for next week's episode as we uh, break down the end of the NBA season. But we'll move on to our segment called Around the Island, and that is where we do some quick news topics from different sports, and we'll start off in the National Football League. Now that the uh, 2021 NFL Draft is officially done and over, I came across some interesting notes and facts from the draft that I uh, wanted to include on this week's episode now that uh, the draft is, uh, we've had time to look it over and review it and all the teams got their draft grades and whatnot. So I mentioned a couple episodes ago uh, in the NFL draft preview episode that there were only four schools that had a player drafted in every single NFL draft since the common draft era began in 1967. Those schools were USC, Florida, Michigan, and Michigan State. And obviously Michigan State was the surprise out of those four, well, in this year's draft, we saw USC, Florida, and Michigan all have players get drafted in the first round. So that continued their streak. But there were no Michigan State players 
selected at all throughout the entire 2021 NFL draft. So we are just down to USC, Florida, and Michigan as schools that have had players picked in every single NFL draft since 1967. And again, those are three powerhouse programs, so I would fully suspect that that continues on uh, next year as well. But uh, we mentioned last week on the draft recap episode that Alabama, University of Alabama, had uh, six players drafted in the first round. Well, that gave Alabama a total of 41 players drafted in the first round since the year 2000 which is by far the most in that time frame. The next closest is Ohio State with 35, Miami with 32, Florida with 25, LSU with 25, Florida State with 24, and USC with 24. So again, two of those, uh, USC and Florida, you hear again as uh, having a lot of players drafted in the first round, but uh, man, you wonder why Alabama is as good as they are because they, they have a outstanding program. And if you want to go to the NFL, Alabama is your quickest route. Now, Alabama, as we all know, is in the Southeastern Conference, or the SEC. Well, the SEC in that draft had a total of 65 players drafted uh, in the 2021 NFL draft. And that is the most by a single conference in the common draft era. So some final numbers for the total number of players drafted from specific schools in this 2021 NFL draft. Alabama had 10 players drafted. Ohio State had 10. Georgia had 9. Notre Dame had 9. Florida had 8. Michigan had 8. LSU had 7. Kentucky had 6. That's got to be one of the highest in their history, I, I would assume. I don't know that to be a fact, but I would bet that six players from Kentucky in one NFL draft is probably one of the most they've had. Penn State with six, Oklahoma, USC, Oregon, Texas, and Clemson all had five. Now, Clemson, that seems kind of low for Clemson, but uh, they did have the top overall pick in the NFL draft with Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Stanford also had five. Uh, and so did Central Florida. Uh, Miami, Texas A&M, Iowa, Auburn, and Oklahoma State all had four. And there was, of course, a bunch of schools that had one, two, and three players drafted. But uh, for time purposes, we'll cut it off there at four. But uh, some other NFL news. Denver Broncos offensive tackle Jawan James. He suffered a season-ending torn Achilles while working out this past week away from the team's facility. Now, the NFL has made, basically made an example out of Jawan James because his $10 million salary for this upcoming season is now in jeopardy because uh, Denver is no longer obligated to pay him for an injury that occurred while working out off-site, away from team facilities. And there's been a quite a big uproar in the NFL about that uh, because he was working out away from team facilities. He got hurt, uh, but he was still obviously training for the season when this happened. So uh, the NFL is no longer uh, obligated to pay his salary, which to me is crap. I mean, you want these guys to, um, you know, you want these guys to 
work out and stay in season shape, game shape, and get ready for training camp here in a couple months. And he gets hurt while doing that, and now you're not going to pay the dude. So to me, that's total crap. But, I mean, it is what it is. Uh, maybe the NFL will get that fixed out, uh, fixed up, but, you know, who knows. But that's a tough, tough break there for Jawan James. But we'll move on to the National Hockey League. Quick note here from the NHL. A couple episodes ago, uh, I discussed how the NHL had a new uh, contract with ESPN to have ESPN broadcast NHL games uh, for the first time in, I believe it's about 10 years uh, since the NHL's been on ESPN. But according to the NHL Network, Ray Ferraro is in line to become ESPN's lead NHL analyst uh, starting next season. Now, Ray Ferraro has been a broadcaster for a long time on uh, the NBC Sports Network, and his voice is also the featured voice in the EA Sports NHL video game. So Ferraro's good selection for that. Uh, of course, if you watch SportsCenter, you know Barry Melrose uh, is one of the uh, main NHL guys, him and Steve Levy as well. Levy's a ESPN SportsCenter anchor, but uh, he does some hockey stuff. But Ferraro, Ray Ferraro is going to be, uh, at least what it sounds like, the lead NHL analyst uh, for these NHL games. So that'll be uh, that'll be good for, for Ray. And uh, moving over now into Major League Baseball, the Toronto Blue Jays, they are officially making Buffalo, New York, their new temporary home. Of course, the Blue Jays have spent the entire season so far having all of their home games at their spring training facility in Dunedin, Florida. So when they move to Buffalo, they're going to be playing their games at Salem Field, which is home to their AAA affiliate. And the first game there at Salem Field is going to be taking place June 1st against the Miami Marlins. Now this is all, of course, uh, due to the strict COVID restrictions that the Canadian government still has in place, which is why the NHL has their, uh, all Canadian teams are in the same division, so they don't have to travel outside the country. So same thing here. Toronto is the only Major League Baseball team in Canada, so uh, they want to keep them in the States and keep the travel in the United States, which it makes it easier for the Blue Jays, I'm sure. Um, which, sidetrack here, I'm kind of curious to see how the NHL is going to handle the playoffs for the uh, once the Scotia North Division plays their uh, first couple series uh, with those interdivision teams, and they have to be traveling to the U.S. for games uh, where their where their home games will take place. I'm interested to see how that's going to, to pan out. But some other baseball news: the Los Angeles Angels they have released future Hall of Fame first baseman Albert Pujols. Now Albert Pujols is in the final year of his ten-year, two hundred fifty-three million dollar contract that he had signed with the LA Angels uh, way back some nine years ago. And can't believe he's been an angel for that long, but uh, he's been an angel the whole time Mike Trout has been a part of that organization. Mike Trout was, uh, was upset when he found out that Pujols was leaving. This might be the end of Pujols' career, but he's a first ballot Hall of Fame player. So far this year, Albert Pujols, he was only hitting 198 but he did have five home runs and 12 RBIs. And uh, he, believe it or not, even had a stolen base so far this year. But 
Uh, we'll see if uh, Pujols resigns kind of one of those one-day contracts with the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, we'll have to see on that, but it does look like Albert Pujols' MLB career uh, is coming to an end. But some other uh, uh, sports-related news uh, deals with uh, Forbes, and Forbes released their top 10 list of most valuable sports franchises. And I'll go down from 10 to 1. Uh, this Again, this is Forbes' list of the top 10 most valuable sports franchises. At number 10, Bayern Munich, soccer team, $4.21 billion. At number 9, the New York Giants of the NFL, $4.3 billion. The New England Patriots, $4.4 billion. Los Angeles Lakers at number 7, $4.6 billion. At number 6, the Golden State Warriors, $4.7 billion. At number 5, Real Madrid soccer team, $4.75 billion. At number 4, FC Barcelona soccer team, $4.76 billion. At number 3, the New York Knicks, $5 billion. At number 2, the New York Yankees, $5.25 billion. And at number 1, my beloved Dallas Cowboys are worth a $5.7 billion, which is unbelievable considering they haven't made it past the divisional round of the playoffs uh, in over 20 years. But they are a obviously an iconic franchise, an iconic uh program, you know, I guess of the NFL and, uh, you know, you see Cowboys fans everywhere you go, love them or hate them. Most people hate us, but it is what it is. Uh, but that is going to wrap up the 39th episode of the sports Island podcasts. Uh, it was a little quicker episode this week. Next week's episode will probably be a little longer because we're going to have uh, the NHL and NBA playoffs to break down and discuss. So, uh, look forward to that. Uh, as always, this podcast is available on all major podcast platforms. You can rate, review, and subscribe. Tell your friends about it, please. You can find the podcast on Facebook, at Sports Island Podcast. And uh, like I said, next week's going to be a good episode, some playoff hockey, some playoff basketball, and, of course, another standings update in Major League Baseball. We'll see where we're at next week. Any more no-hitters get thrown. Uh, But in the meantime, stay safe, be well, and we'll catch you on Sports Island next week.